Welcome to the 51st episode of the podcast, Super Awkward Funcast, with your hostess, Elle Latham. And I am very excited about this episode. It's been a couple months that I've been waiting to do it because we last did an episode which was uh, about Pfizer. Well, it was called This Podcast Was Not Brought to You by Pfizer with my friend Marcus Cage from The Political Matrix. Shout out to The Political Matrix people and family uh, in the chat. So welcome again. Um, This is the January episode, end of January episode (laughs) into February. And a lot has happened since we've spoken last. So we had the Operation Ramp Down actually go into effect, sort of, in, (coughs) in the UK. Excuse my voice, damn. But um, we did do a show last night. Check it out on the channel, Political Matrix. Um, So Operation Ramp Down, which we talked about in the last podcast episode, um, went into effect and the COVID-19 restrictions have gone into effect, but not for healthcare workers in terms of the VAX mandate. So there's still issues there. And uh, a lot of protests going on against that, the NHS mandate. And um, now we have the truckers also in Canada speaking out against the mandates for them. In Ottawa specifically, there's a lot going on. And it forced the Prime Minister uh, Trudeau into hiding, who just so happened to get COVID just recently after having all of the, the shots, all his shots up to date. <laughs> now it's up to date. So since we've last spoken, it's not fully vaccinated. It's up to date. So you're like a dog. You got to get your shots every uh, few months. Even worse than a dog, because dogs don't have to get shots every few months that I know of. Um, so anyway, uh, thanks for coming to the show. We got a big one. We're going to talk about DTRA, finally. Uh, we're going to talk about, you know, like the hypocrisy of the the elites or the people who think they're elites and the connections between all of these agendas and the Davos agenda. It just happens to be so connected that all of the people involved in the Russia-Ukraine conflict that is being manufactured right now... Um, I just happened to be at Davos in 2016, 2017, 2020, and 2021, respectively. And also, in addition to that, we had Trudeau uh, at Davos a few years back, four years back. So, um, interesting connections there. And then also Boris Johnson is an agenda contributor, and uh, so is Joe Biden but they don't really go into detail. You can just go to that page on weforum.org where you get this information. You can also go to younggloballeaders.org where they hand out awards to all these young people who are going to help with their initiative. 
And um, you'll see some familiar names like Pete Buttigieg. Uh, there's Tulsi Gabbard, who was the first one I noticed. Lana Wynn um, and many, many others and many Chinese um, journalists and medical profession people, scientists and whatnot. Um, so if you want to go down that rabbit hole, that's welcome to you. But we will not do that today because we do not have time. So we'll get straight to it. So uh, first I wanted to go into the Davos stuff. So that's interesting. Uh, I'm going to put a list together of what I'm doing as usual so I don't lose my place. And This is more structured, this show, than it ever was before. So I'll say Davos 2017 to 2020. One, and I'll know what that meant. Um, anyway, so getting straight to it, there's a speech that the former vice president Joe Biden at the time, who was outgoing in a few days, uh, Mike Pence was going to take on that role under Donald Trump, and we know how that worked out. But here's the beginning of the speech, and I've finally gotten a tablet, so I hope that I won't have any audio interfering. Interference. I did a test and made sure that wasn't going to happen beforehand. So now I get to hear it again and you get to hear it with me for the first time. So this is from 2017. This was not played on the last episode of The Political Matrix. Um, I played several clip clips from Davos, but this was not one of them. So this is brand new, not really, information because you can get it on YouTube. Luckily, uh, there are clips and I will share the videos in their entirety for context's sake in the source list as usual. So here we go. Here's the intro. This is just to show you how cozy the relationship with Klaus Schwab and Joe Biden is. That's all this is supposed to do. All right, let's start. Here's Klaus's intro. Today I have uh, the great privilege. The great privilege. Joseph Biden, Honorable. the 47th Vice President of the United States. Mr. Vice President, I have no the honor to know you for many, many years. Many years. Long before you became Vice President. Long before. And I've always admired you as a person who, reflecting particularly on the theme of this meeting, Theme. Nazi. Responsive and responsible leader. Your heart, Vice President. His heart. Has always been with always. those living in precarious situations. We just remember your speech last year. Yeah, he, he spoke in 2016. For being a champion oh, yeah. Of those For sure. Less privileged in society. Whether it's a worker on an assembly line, a sick patient, or victims of injustice, you always have to be an advocate or for those disadvantaged during your whole career. In the last years, you have especially focused your time focused. on the Moonshot Initiative. Where'd that go? An essential and worldwide effort 
to break down walls in the medical research community with the goal of once and for all vanquishing the terrible cancer vanquishing challenge. Mr. Vice President, challenge. you see, I'm, because I'm myself in some way. Not cancer, uh, just the challenge of it. Mr. Vice President, all of us have been impacted by this disease in one way or another. Mm. Myself, as I just mentioned, and even my wife included. And it's safe to say you can count on the support of the Davos community, the forum ecosystem, to assist you going forward in this regard. Mr. Vice President, and he has. I understand <laughs> this is your final major speech we are so privileged that you have chosen Davos and that you have opted to spend the time with us today. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming Joseph Biden, Vice President of the United States. I love how they never say his middle name, which is Robinette. I'm sure there's a good reason. But anyway, that's Klaus, good friend of current president Joe Biden uh, just to make sure you know that this isn't just some partisan bullshit Donald Trump also spoke um, as president um, not too long ago let me get that speech so I can get that date for you Trump Davos we're live I don't know why I was going to put in a date. I don't know the date. <laughs> Here's the full speech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2018. 2018. The next year. The next year, the incoming president, or the current president at the time, spoke. And he spoke kind of in a non-globalist way to his base. So it's not the same. But he still shook hands with Klaus. He still went, ended up at... In, at Davos and did that and also getting into the Ukraine-Russia conflict uh, Vladimir Putin showed up in 2021 which was last year so let's go into his speech because I haven't really shown that part uh, yet but I did show Zelensky so if you want to see you know what Zelensky said um I didn't really put it in the chat, so I'll put it in the source list, the Zelensky one, so you can listen to that one as well, if you, if you so desire. I mean, if you have nothing better to do, then do so. So this is like the intro for Vladimir Putin's speech, and we're not going to hear Vladimir Putin speak, we're just going to hear Klaus. Here we go. There's a long-standing tradition of Russia's participation in the World Economic Forum. At this moment in history, where the world has a unique and short window of opportunity to move from an age of confrontation to an age of cooperation, the ability to hear your voice, the voice of the President of the Russian Federation, is essential. Even and especially in times characterized by differences, disputes, and protests, constructive and honest, even and especially in times characterized by differences, 
disputes and protests, constructive and honest dialogue to address that was my bad. challenges <laughs> is better than isolation and polarization. Yesterday, your phone exchange with President Biden and the agreement to extend the new START nuclear arms treaty in principle, I think, is a very promising sign in this direction. COVID-19, Mr. President, has shown our global vulnerability and interconnectivity. And like any other country, <coughs> will Russia will certainly also be affected and your economic development and prospects for international cooperation, of course, is of interest to all of us. Mr. President, we are keen to hear from your perspective and from that of Russia how you see the situation developing in the third decade of the 21st century and what should be done to ensure that people everywhere find peace and prosperity. Mr. President, the world is waiting to hear from you. And then they did. So anyway, yeah, so these people, all the players in this play that's being, you know, played out now, were there then and even yesteryear <laughs> and talking about the same shit that's going on now or being purported to be happening now with Ukraine. The thing that they don't tell you when they're talking about invasion of, you know, Crimea and invasion of uh, Ukraine potentially with Russia, the, the U.S. government in specific, uh, is that they fucking do that to countries all the time that aren't even right next to them. So it's the hypocrisy for me, the blatant hypocrisy of Blinken and, and Lloyd Austin and Floyd Austin. Is it Floyd? Whatever. Who gives a shit? Austin and McMilly and Saki, Saki shit is what I call her now. Um, all of them saying like, oh my gosh, we're worried about Russia invading. Yeah, that's our job. We're the, we're the country that invades without you know, getting a read on what the public wants in that country. Whether it's in the Middle East, with uh, Afghanistan, <laughs> which is done, so it's okay. Uh, in Iraq and Syria, where we're still at, the U.S. military is still at. And all the other countries that, we, that could be invaded at any moment because the military is in that area. And encroaching all the time on that country or that state. So I just think, you know, we should really take everything that they say with a grain of salt. A huge grain of salt. Especially after the war crimes that were committed in Afghanistan, in Kabul, against 10 members of family, mostly children, seven of them children, that's they still haven't gotten as much respect as Ducey did, as Steve Ducey did, when he was called a, uh, what is it called? He was called a stupid son of a bitch by the president on the mic, and then he immediately apologized to Ducey. Like, he got more respect from the president than the family of the people that were killed accidentally 
by his military, who suffered no consequences for that action. No consequences. Because the U.S. is above consequences. U.S. military gets away with everything. And then Russia tries to pull a U.S. government, and they're like, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't fix an election, that's our job. You can't invade a country, that's our job. So it's, it's all very bullshit to me. Um, then in, in regard to the COVID-19 that he mentioned there, like, let's not forget the World Economic Forum's, you know, pre-planned event of the no- novel coronavirus in 2019, October 18th, 2019, put on by John Hopkins Center for Health Security, which has done this a lot, <laughs> with, alongside World Economic Forum and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, uh, set in New York. The novel coronavirus hits Brazil first and then spreads worldwide. And then every, a bunch of people die. 60-something million people die. But that's not as many as 100 million plus in the Claydex exercise from 2018. May 2018. I don't remember the exact date on that one, sorry. But that one uh, also had Tim, Tom Inglesby. I never remember his name. I, I apologize. Let me go, Google it. Let me duck, duck, go it. We don't do Google in this house. Uh, except YouTube, because we are full of contradictions. Uh, Tom, I'm pretty sure it's Tom. I want to call him Tim, because he looks like a Tim to me. Yeah, Tom Inglesby. Tom Inglesby! We'll get his little bio, so you know who he is. He's an American epidemiologist and the director of the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. So he puts on a lot of these things. These, uh, pre-plant... Pandemic, pandemic. <laughs> I almost pulled a sake there. Um, these pandemic exercises, these round, ta- round table exercises with all of these World Bank execs and former commissioners of the FDA and everything, all these people and the CDC director, not CDC, the Chinese uh, CDC director, George Gao, who was there and also present and with a lot of dialogue during the fourth segment, which focused on misinformation and disinformation. So everything has been planned to the T. And so nobody should be surprised when stuff like this Neil Young and, and Joe Rogan thing happens. We'll mention that really quickly because we talked about it last night on the political matrix. But, you know, these censorship advocates in the media and everything, people saying anti-vaxxers should be silenced, blah, 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 and just calling everyone that they disagree with an anti-vaxxer, everyone who disagrees with vaccine mandates are anti-vaxxers. I mean, that's been what they've been doing the last few years before this pandemic ever occurred, is been, you know, putting people in the other category who disagree with um, the consensus on vaccination and how safe it is in general. So parents who didn't want mandatory vaccination for children in schools leading up to the pandemic were ostracized and talked badly about in the press and they're all anti-vaxxers. So just having choice right now is 
a crime. Like it's getting to the point where you, you can't choose anything. You have to do exactly what you're told. And that is dystopian as shit. And we live in a dystopia. It has been a dystopia for at least two years now. That's why I say post-apocalyptic when I refer to the beginning of the pandemic. That's why I say that. When everything shut down in March 2020, it was over. It was over for a lot of things. It was over for me in the entertainment industry. Like, I would love, love... You know how easy money is as an extra in Hollywood? You don't know. Even as a non-union extra, I made a shitload of money just standing around or sitting around all day. It was amazing. It was like the best thing. I'm acting. I'm sort of pursuing my dream. (laughs) I'm on set. I'm making, uh, you know, friends and, and contacts. And showing that I'm responsible by showing up early to set and doing everything that I'm told and having my voucher if I need it. But like, once that happened, the vaccine mandates came so quickly. And we warned you guys, we warned everybody in the media, in all the podcasts from people who are aware of shit that's going on, who know about Event 201 and know about dark winter and know about, you know, Bill Gates and what he's been doing and the decade vaccines and all of that and Fauci and the fucking HIV AIDS situation that he was involved in and AZT. We've known for so long and we warned everyone that this was where this was going, that they were going to make it like lockstep, that document from the Rockefeller um, Foundation. So, you know, none of this was surprising to us, but we had to get people on board. We tried really hard. I tried with my family. I was like, they're going to make it mandatory to get a vaccine. They're saying that no now. They're saying no federal mandate. I can get a clip of him saying that shit. But you know what? You've seen it. You've seen all this shit. You've heard all the lies. I'm not going to continue to play all the shit to you. And also, I don't know how it's going to interfere with the the audio. So I don't even know how I sound right now. I hope I sound really good. But anyway, um, it's just something to think about is that there were so many people saying this shit two years ago, saying the cloth masks didn't work. I was saying that two years ago, not two years ago, like a, uh, a year and change, like probably 20 something months ago. But it's still like, like end of year 2020, like not end of year, mid year. I was saying it in June. I'll say that June 2020. I was saying cloth masks don't work, and they had a study from 2015 that showed that that was the case. That even if you wanted to say that the medical masks were so great and everything, honestly, they're not that great against this um, against the COVID. Hold on one sec. I'm live. Okay. And I'm not editing this. Fuck that. So, I'm not editing this is what I said. Uh, if you didn't hear me. My my uh, blanket on my chair, I'm in a chair, uh, fell down. So, it was annoying me. So, I had to get up and fix it. Fun, 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 fun. Um, we love going live. So, anyway, yeah. Um, basically, everything that they're saying in the media two years after the fact, was said before, and people ignored it, or they said, oh, you're bullshitting. 
but now it's been proven. Now there's so many articles now, and I don't even want to go through all of them, but I'll, I'll just find a random one and put it in the notes. But, you know, cloth masks are fucking useless now. And don't tell LA, because I don't want them to make me wear a fucking N95 respirator. I don't think they would ever do that. But we live in such a world that I could see them trying to implement that rule and being like, okay, no one goes anywhere unless they're wearing this high-grade mask. Because they're already, like, they already were trying to disseminate these masks. High quality, as they say. <clears throat> Whatever that means. <clears throat> Voice is gone again. Okay, so... Medical masks is not even for the thing that they say it's for, which is keeping you safe uh, from getting the COVID. It, it says on the box that it doesn't prevent the transmission of COVID-19. So it's like, come on now. I mean, how stupid is everybody? Like, no offense. I mean, if every if if there are people out there listening who wear masks, you know what? Do you. It's your choice. If you feel like it's helping, go ahead and do it. And it might help you individually. I don't know how it helps because my, my mother specifically, if I want to put her into it, she says that she has never gotten it and she feels safe in her mask, her medical mask, you know. So I don't know, you know, it's probably an individual thing. I don't even know. But it's not a one-size-fits-all solution. Neither is the va- vaccine. And that's clear as day. And we said in the beginning the vaccine was going to possibly hurt people. And that's what's happening as well. So so there was like um, an article on the NIH website about ADE, which I'll bring up now. Antibody dependent enhancement, which was even spoken about by Fauci himself. Uh, Let me see if I can get that clip because that's a doozy. Let's see here. Fauci, vaccine, antibody, enhancement, whatever. (laughs) Dependent. And, you know, the people who were talking about this before know, like, the people in our community, the truth community, the truth seekers, and the, the independent media, they know what this shit is. So I'm like preaching the, to the choir on that front. This is for the people who don't really understand. So let's see if we can find that. Fact check. <laughs> the first thing that comes up when you look up anything about Fauci. Fact check. <laughs> oh my gosh. Just let me watch the fucking thing. You're going to give it to me, right? Because... You gots to. Okay, leaky imperfect vaccines. Okay. Let's see. Here's here's the little clip that they put in here. So we'll just use Dave Rubin's clip here from the Twitter. Here he is. Does the vaccine make you worse? And there are diseases in which you vaccinate someone. They get infected with what you're trying to... He said this in a conference, a COVID conference. You can get a good feel for that in animal models. So that's going to be interspersed at the same time that we're testing. We're going to try and make sure we don't have enhancement. So the worst possible thing you could do is vaccinate somebody to prevent infection and actually make them worse. Worse. Okay. So that was the conference that 
they're referencing here <laughs> and they put more of the context <laughs> uh, in this fact check, which is of course from Reuters, which is connected to Pfizer. We've already gone over that. Um, and then he made a, a similar statement in this other clip. Thank you for that clip. Let's go ahead and watch it. <laughs> Thanks Reuters. You're so helpful. Oh yeah, the testifying before Senate. I remember that. There's also the possibility of negative consequences where certain vaccines can actually enhance the Oh Shiza, sorry. We'll go back. Go ahead. <laughs> they gave us a timestamp. I must warn that there's also the possibility of negative consequences where certain vaccines can actually enhance the negative effect of the infection. The big unknown is efficacy. Will it be present or absence? And how durable will it be? And finally, I want to mention the NIH has launched a public-private partnership called Accelerating COVID-19 Therapeutic Interventions and Vaccines. The purpose of that is to prioritize and accelerate clinical evaluation of therapeutic candidates with near-term potential. Hopefully, our research efforts together with the other public health efforts, will get us quickly to an end to this terrible ordeal that we are all going through. Thank you very much. Happy to answer questions later. Okay, so he talked about it there. Um, so, it's literally on the NIH website what this is. So, we should go to that. Now, um... So they're trying to make it like, oh, this was out of context or whatever. This was in 2020 when they were reticent about doing the warp speed, you know, thing that Don the Con, you know, was putting out there. Like, oh, we're going to get these vaccines produced so fast and everyone's going to love me and be so happy uh, with me after they get their vaccine. And now it's not really that way with the people who, who liked him then they're like kind of feeling betrayed now because he's gone back on um, how he felt about vaccines in the first place, which was he was reticent about them. And then all of a sudden warp speed, he does that. And, you know, all oh, the vaccines are amazing. They're great. And you should get them if you want them. Blah, blah, blah. Um, we saw those clips. I'm sure you've seen those clips by now. Uh, okay, so it's meant... All right, here's the article about the uh, antibody-dependent enhancement from the NIH website. And I'll link it below. Let me put in my notes. ADE article. Oh, no, Fauci first. Fauci clips. Reuters fact check. <laughs> Who knew fact check would be so helpful? Okay. Easier than Google. Um, and then ADE article. Okay. Unavoidable problems in vaccine development. Written by Lili Zhu, Shiquan Ma, etc. And Shuki Chao. In some cases... Hold on. It looks weird. <laughs> Oh, I see. Okay. I'm not used to this tablet. Sorry. Okay. Abstract. In some cases, antibodies can enhance virus entry 
and entry. Sounded like I said entry, but entry. And replication in cells. This phenomenon is called antibody-dependent infection enhancement, ADE. ADE not only promotes the virus to be recognized by the target cell and enters the target cell, but also affects the signal transmission in the target cell. Early formalin-inactivated virus vaccines, such as aluminum adjuvants, RSV, and measles, have been shown to induce ADE. Although there is no direct evidence that there is ADE in COVID-19, this potential risk is a huge challenge for prevention and vaccine development. This article focuses on the virus-induced ADE phenomenon and its molecular mechanism. It also summarizes various attempts in vaccine research and development to eliminate the ADE phenomenon and proposes to avoid ADE in vaccine development from the perspective of antigens and adjuvants. So this was written in, where, what, when was this written? Uh, 2021. So that's pretty, pretty recent. Uh, it talks about all the, the scientific stuff that we can't even get into. It's very heavy language, molecular stuff, blah, blah, blah. Cellular compartmentalization, development of vaccine to eliminate ADE. Okay, so it says vaccine-induced ADE has been found for a long time. Antibodies with poor affinity induced by formalin-inactivated virus vaccines, e.g. RSV and RSV and measles, with AI adjuvant induced ADE during the initial infection of infants. The development of vaccine to eliminate ADE mainly from two aspects. One is to mask or remove the antigen part that produces ADE so that the antibody produced does not produce ADE effect. The other is to block the combination of antigen antibody complex and receptor so as to inhibit FC receptor or other receptor mediated ADE. Then they talk about more of that technology. So anyway, you know, a lot of people have come to the conclusion that this is a leaky vaccine. People who are speaking out in various ways, one of them being Robert, Dr. Robert Malone. And I'm not sure how to feel about that guy. I haven't really talked about him on the pod yet, so I guess we'll talk about him now. Uh, so he was on the episode of Joe Rogan that really got a lot of flack and talked about imperfect vaccines and all of this stuff. And I didn't watch it. I'm not going to lie. I didn't watch any of it. I don't have Spotify. I don't want Spotify. I'm fine without it. I watch little clips every now and again on YouTube of the show. And that's pretty much what happens now. But he said some things that the a bunch of non-medical doctors were very upset about. Um, but anyway, you know, he's, he's promoted Novavax, which I'll go into in detail. Let me put in that. I'll put that in the show notes, my Novavax research, because it's very involved. Uh, there's a lot of funding from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. We'll just go there. And, um, that's 
another vaccine that is from the decade of vaccines. It's from you-know-who, and so can it be trusted? Probably not. Uh, another company for competition, fake competition, because all of these fucking technologies that they're using is similar. Like the mRNA technology that they use in the, the Moderna is not that much different than the mRNA technology that they use in the BioNTech Pfizer or Pfizer BioNTech um, formulation of the COVID-19 vaccine. So they have two people, two, two companies up against each other, like Coke and Pepsi. It's the same shit, but it's a different company. And there's slightly different results, you know, slightly different. But they're still not very effective at preventing transmission. And that has been shown time and time again. I remember, do you remember when breakthrough cases were rare? Because I remember that. And then all of a sudden, they weren't rare anymore. And they couldn't ignore it. And then they changed the, the goalposts. They moved the goalposts again to, you know, we're just going to prevent hospitalization and death. And that's so easy to do. Like, a lot of drugs can prevent uh, hospitaliz hospitalization and death. That doesn't mean they're the best thing around. That doesn't mean we shouldn't look for other therapeutics if they work better or they actually prevent transmission. Um, so... I don't know. The, the whole thing is ridiculous. Novavax, there's another one, Val, Val, Valneva, I believe, is the other one that is connected to Bill Gates. And you know what? If you want to know anything about Bill Gates, I'll tell you. <laughs> so, I do a lot of research about that motherfucker. So we've been through this again and again. Valneva, Bill Gates. If you just look that up, just look up any company, Bill Gates, you'll find your information it's really not that hard to figure out. So the guy who's on the scientific advisory board of Valneva is a guy who used to be an advisor at Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And you can find that out so simply. So simply. Um, in fact, I found something else out. Just looking in here. I'm going to put this in my notes. Valneva, Bill, Bill Gates. And I'll know what that means. <laughs> And I'll be able to look it up. Bill Gates. Alright. So Batavia Biosciences and Valneva collaborate to accelerate development of low-cost inactivated polio vaccine. Yeah, Bill Gates loves polio vaccines. Um, this is from June 15, 2020. Batavia Biosciences and Valneva Sweden AB, the Swedish subsidiary of Valneva SE, today announced that they had entered into a collaboration agreement to accelerate market access of a low-cost inactivated polio vaccine, IPV. This work is supported under GPEI. In 2019, Batavia, I don't know how to pronounce it, so I'm pronouncing it both ways, received a grant from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to use its novel low-cost vaccine manufacturing process, HIP-Vax, in combination with Neveline manufacturing equipment developed by Universelles to deliver clinical-grade IPV bulks to selected developing country 
vaccine manufacturers for phase one, two cl clinical studies. The IPV vaccine is based on the Sabin vaccine strains, SIPV, which Batavia has successfully obtained from the World Health Organization. So there you go, like clear as day. There's the grant, and if you click on grant, it'll take you to the grant, or it should. Maybe it won't. There it is. Okay, grant. And then it takes you to BataviaBiosciences.com, grant, low cost, and activated polio vaccine. And it shows that information right there. And it was $12 million. So we've just gotten this information, and it was in 2016 that they received the grant. So now you know... And I know that Bill Melinda Gates Foundation is directly involved with Batavia Biosciences, which had a contract with Balneva, which is one of the uh, alternates, <laughs> alternate companies to develop vaccines for the COVID-19. So that's some interesting shit. So this is how easy it is to research this shit. You just put in whatever you want to look up. And then you get it most of the time. So uh, I can't say more about that. Like, and of course, you know, then they go to this this uh, article from March 2021 where what why Bill Gates is worried about BTC Bitcoin. So then he's uh, worried about that as well. Um, but anyway, just you know, I wasn't planning on getting all into that. But you know, while I'm talking about it, I just wanted to put a little bit of doubt in you guys' minds, and then I heard from uh, somebody, he'll know who, um, that there was a relationship that was detailed between Robert Malone and DTRA, which is the Defense Threat Reduction Agency. So let me see if I can find any information on that, so I can fact check that in real time, DTRA. Let's see here. Also, they were talking about um, that the the guy Peter Daszak from EcoHealth Alliance, who I'll get into a, a little bit later, um, that he is possibly somebody was saying he was CIA. I forgot who this guy was, but this guy said he worked with him in the past, uh, and he claimed to be a whistleblower on that. But anyway. Um, I found something here. I don't know what the hell this is. Siliconacaris.org. Let's see what this shit is. Dooly dooly do. Exposing the authoritarian circuitry of our digital enclosure. Okay, DARPA's man in Wuhan. Okay. I'll come back to that at some point in the future by myself. Um, but I found unityprojectonline.com. So let's go there. And it says here about Robert Malone. Dr. Robert Malone. Uh, let's see. Here he is. Um, in his bio. All right. He's a U.S.-based physician scientist who operates a consultant practice specializing in advanced development of medical countermeasures for infectious diseases, vaccines, and drugs. He has served as an assistant and associate professor of 
Pathology and Surgery at UC Davis, University of Maryland, and the Armed Forces University of the Health Science of Health Yeah, of the Health Sciences. Uh, let's skippy skip skip to the part that's relevant. Okay. Dr. Malone is an internationally recognized scientist, virology, immunology, molecular biology, and the original inventor of mRNA vaccination, DNA vaccination, and multiple non-viral DNA and RNA-mRNA delivery technologies. Dr. Malone holds numerous fundamental domestic and foreign patents in the, ge in the fields of gene delivery, delivery formulations, and vaccines, including for fundamental DNA and mRNA, sorry, RNA, mRNA vaccine technologies. He has approximately 100 peer-reviewed publications and published abstracts and about 12,000 citations of his peer-reviewed peer publications. Where, okay, here it goes. Uh, Dr. Malone has a history of assembling and managing expert teams that focus on solving complicated biodefense challenges to meet U.S. government requirements. He was instrumental in enabling the PHAC RVSV ZEBOV Merck Ebola vaccine to move forward quickly towards BLA and now recently granted licensure. Dr. Malone got the project on track in support of DODDTRA and New Link Genetics, recruited organizations to team with USAMRIID, WRAIR, to develop the immunoassays, put WHO and Norwegian government philanthropic leadership in touch with Pentagon leadership to expedite the initial WRAIR. IR clinical and ring vaccination trials, recruited a management team, recruited Merck vaccines to purchase the product candidate from New Link, helped write and edit the clinical trials developed by the WHO, and lead the development of the BARDA and DTR contracts, yielding over $200 million in resources. Dr. Malone's early involvement in this project allowed for the Merkebola vaccine to be developed very rapidly. So what I'm seeing there is that he was party to a lot of what was going on behind the scenes in vaccine development and, er, and rapid development of vaccines, which had started before Operation Warp Speed, of course. And drugs in general were getting licensure way early or than to than expected. We've gone over that before with Scott Gottlieb and everything um, with uh, the FDA in the past. So it's interesting to see his connection with DTRA and shout out to the person who gave me that information. I'm just not going to put their name out there because in case they want to remain anonymous in that research. Um, although I don't think you know, him talking about it and bragging about it on a show is not really research, but, you know, just in case, you know. Um, but that's interesting to think about because DTRA, I'll get into that now because I got a lot of information about that. And that's coming up um, and talking about also the um, connection with Eco Health Alliance, which a lot of people have kind of ignored to their own peril, in my opinion. Um, 
because it you taught they talked about DARPA and how DARPA ignored, not ignored, um, didn't decide to go forward um, with the projects in Wuhan uh, or with Eco Health Alliance in general, like, and the whole Fauci email situation. But you know, there's more to it. There are other agencies that are involved. DOD, DTRA being one of them. That is a section of the uh, DOD, the Department of Defense. And here we go. Okay, so it all starts with this. So getting into DTRA, I'll say DTRA is next. Um, and then do the different parts. I'm going to try and do this in order so I don't have to do as much work later editing this into the show notes. So first thing is first. Let's look at the contract because that's what's important is seeing what was done behind our noses. Behind our noses. Behind our backs. Um, so I found this at govtribe.com. I just put in certain things and I got the definitive contract HDTRA 115C0041 and again I will put it right in the show notes for you to enjoy. And this is a contract that was from 2015, April 9th, 2015. The current completion date at that time September 30th, 2017. And uh the potential completion date same day. And this was for $4.5 million. It's a cost, no fee, federal contract award. It was awarded to EcoHealth Alliance Incorporated on April 9th, 2015. It is funded by the Defense Threat Reduction Agency. If you want to know about them, let me go ahead and give you some background. Um, I'll go ahead and do that. I have a whole bunch of information. Too much information. I don't know if I'm going to get through everything here because there are many projects that this agency has been involved in. I don't think many people know about. So, let's see here. Oh, yeah. They had an involvement in the Ebola vaccine that we were just discussing, so we could start there as well. Um, let's see. I have a lot of information here. Damn. Okay. Let's see. This might be... Yeah, Britannica. So Britannica, Britannica.com defines Defense Threat Reduction Agency as an agency within the Department of Defense in the U.S. charged with protecting the United States and its allies from the threats, threat of weapons of mass destruction such as chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear weapons, and high-yield explosives. <laughs> that was outside, sorry. Established on October 1st, 1998, and headquartered in Fort Belvoir, Virginia. DTRA was given the mission of controlling and reducing the threat of WMDs and providing quality tools and source services to the U.S. military to assist in completing this mission. 
The DTRA was also established to oversee and implement the Cooperative Threat Reduction Program. This program was created by the Nung Lugar Act of 1991 to safeguard the nuclear, biological, and chemical weapons stockpiles within the republics of the former Soviet Union and to assist those countries in meeting their access, um, access, arms control treaty obligations. The CTR program was later expanded to include safeguarding, securing, and re- deactivating WMDs outside the former Soviet Union to prevent the trafficking of WMDs and related technologies. To achieve its mission, the DTRA forms, performs two essential functions. Two. Four. I don't know why I said two. Four essential functions. Combat support, technology and skill development, threat control, and threat reduction. To satisfy the combat support function, DTRA performs three basic duties. The first is to use joint service balanced survivability assessments in order to protect the United States from an attack by WMDs and formulate better preparations against such a strike. Second, the agency provides operational and analytical support to the Department of Defense and the other U.S. government departments on nuclear and WMD issues. Third, the DTRA coordinates the emergency response to a radiological or WMD incident. The technology department, department, (laughs) the technology development function requires the DTRA to provide the Department of Defense with systems to counter WMDs and their proliferation. It develops sensors and weapons to destroy WMD production facilities, determines the lethality of both conventional and unconventional weapons, and assumes responsibility for research, development, testing, and evaluation. The agency also develops training protocols for U.S. nuclear weapons handlers, as well as accident response protocols for handlers of nuclear materials in the U.S. and around the world, and technologies to protect U.S. personnel against terrorist attacks, especially those involving WMDs. The DTRA mission functions of threat control and threat reduction are components of the CTR program. So that's what Britannica.com, which is totally not um, spouting a bunch of information from their website, (laughs) uh, says about DTRA, what it is. And then we go to, let's see if there's something else I can get you to. Oh yeah, like I have something about Syrian hamsters in here too. I don't know if I want to get to that, but there's some information there. Uh, Let's see here. DTR program helps nations tackle... This is from defense.gov. And it's from March 10th, 2016. DTR program helps nations to tackle biological threats. So it says here, as part of the effort to upgrade global biosurveillance capabilities in the wake of recent pandemics, a mainly nuclear proliferation program created in the 1990s has evolved to address biological threats around the world. The precursor to the Defense Threat Reduction Agency's Cooperative Biological Engagement Program, or CBEP, began in November 1991 after the fall of the Soviet Union as a U.S. threat reduction and nonproliferation effort. The Nunn-Lugar Cooperative Threat Reduction Program initially sought to protect dissolving Soviet countries' 
nuclear infrastructure from rogue nations and terrorist groups, according to a 2014 Congressional Research Service report. By 1996, Congress had expanded the program to include protection from chemical, biological, and radiological materials and weapons, and later to include broadening the program to countries beyond the original 15 that emerged from the Soviet Union's dissolution. Today, 20 years later, a DTRA fact sheet says CBEP is engaged with nearly 30 countries in Africa, Europe, the Middle East, and South Asia, and Southeast Asia. Helping partner countries. Over the years, the program morphed into helping those partners safeguard and secure any biological material they may have for public health purposes and to give them the capability to detect, diagnose, and report incidents focusing on weapons of mass destruction related biothreats and biomaterial. CBEP Division Chief Dr. Lance Brooks told DOD News during a recent interview. The program also makes also works to make sure partner countries can detect intentional and accidental biological releases and natural outbreaks that can become pandemics threatening U.S. national security, he added. Brooks said CBEP also helps countries with disease reporting required by a 2005 revision of the International Health Regulations, which is implemented and coordinated by the World Health Organization. The IAHR represents an agreement among 196 countries to build capacities to detect, access, and assess and report significant public health events. The regulations include specific measures that countries should take before and during such event at, events at ports, airports, and ground crossings to limit the spread of health risks. Bad guys and biothreats. Brooks said that a 2009 memorandum from the Office of the Defense Secretary to then Assistant Secretary of Defense for Nuclear, Chemical, and Biological Defense Programs, Andrew Weber, incorporated infectious diseases from the Departments of Agriculture and Health and Human Services Select Agents and Toxins list into the Cooperative Threat Reduction Mission. The same year, CBEP moved out of the former Soviet Union, eventually moving into Africa to address the nexus of terrorist groups and emerging infectious diseases, disease increasing on the continent, Brooks said. Anywhere you have bad guys and biological material that could be used as a weapon, that's essentially where we have determination to go, he added. When CBEP works with a country, we make sure their facilities are secure and they work safely with materials so they don't have an accidental release and securely so terrorists can't get their hands on materials. We also help them assess the biological collections in country and help them eliminate any unnecessary stockpile or consolidate it into more secure facilities. Then we work closely with them to build their disease detection network and integrate that into the public health system. And then it talks about sustainable biosurveillance. So their partners include WHO, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the U.S. Agency for International Development, and other international organizations to help countries develop their capacities to detect biothreat bio materials. For the public health community, we want them to be able to detect diseases 
beyond everyday acute diseases like cholera, tuberculosis, and others, but it has to be integrated into the everyday job and function they're doing, otherwise they can't sustain it, said Brooks. CVEP also tries to help build capability beyond facilities and laboratory equipment, he, he added. These countries have to have trained epidemiologists to analyze the information and provide it to the country's decision makers who must appropriately respond, he said. Then it has global coordination. You have to have people out in the field working with our partner countries. Some countries we work with use paper and faxes to send disease information, slowing the notification processes to weeks or months, making it impossible to gather real-time data, he said. When we assist a country, we try to get them to do electronic reporting, so that at least within the country data will be available more quickly for a coordinated response to mitigate a terrorist attack or prevent a potential pandemic outbreak. Again, from 2016, this is. I'm just saying. These are This is information you could get yourself. I'm not special at all. I worked really hard to get it. this information, though, like hours and hours. Um, then there's, um, there's so much information. Like, oh my gosh, it's forever. I have so much proof of the EcoHealth Alliance uh, contract and everything. Like, there's nothing that you couldn't, that you could say that... I'm lying about here because it's all just so clear. So yeah, then I have the whole portal from their website uh, here, which says, oh yeah, this is something else. Let's see what this says. Closed for public release. I don't know if this one was very important for me to get, but there's a document in here. I'll leave it for you to decide what, what it means. The DOD emergency management document from 2017 some of these government documents are very like full of information but it's just a lot for you to handle the dod instruction 6055.17 dod emergency management program from the office of the undersecretary of defense for acquisition and sustainment effective february 13 2017 to june 12 2019 anyway back to the contract so Again, we don't want to get too in the weeds on this shit, but the contract um, right here on this website, govtribe.com, which again will be linked below in the show notes. The potential value of the award is $4,479,678. The NAICS category for the award is 541712 Research and Development in the Physical Engineering and Life Sciences, except Biotechnology. The PSC category is AD92RND Defense Other, Other. <laughs> um, and then you go down and it says the category and it says the information about the DOD, DTRA being the federal agency that that funded it, um, the research. But it doesn't show exactly on this page everything, so I had to go elsewhere. <laughs> so I worked really hard and got a lot of information, including, uh, I had had I had gotten the information originally, a spreadsheet from DTRA's website, which is almost impossible to find now, so I'm glad I put it 
in uh, on Twitter when I did because they changed the the rec- they tra- changed the search engine that they use for the records so that it's more difficult to find information, which I'm sure had nothing to do with that uh, getting leaked out in the press because that's where I originally saw this is the Daily Mail, which I fact checked immediately and found all this information on. Okay, so then we got a thing from defense.gov, and I looked there, and this is not that interesting. Hold on, never mind. (laughs) Some of the shit that I put in my bookmarks is just not of the utmost importance, but I just put it in there in case I needed to get back to it at some point. You never know, and then you don't want anything to be memory hold either. Okay, so comptroller.defense.gov. I think that's something important. Let's see what this is. Defense Threat Reduction Agency oversees contingency operations, operation and maintenance, defense-wide. This is just telling you about the agency, really, again. Very important information. Oh, you know, uh, what they finance, the the stuff that they do. You can see that there, like the funding. If you want to get into all of the funding and stuff, that's a good place to go. I don't know if I'll put it in. You can find that yourself. I'm not going to put that in the show notes because it's not that important. Uh, going through, let's see here. Thank you for bearing with me because I am not editing the fuck out of this. Let's see here. It's hard to know what's important or not because it just says Defense Threat Reduction Agency. And I don't really know where that's going to go. This has been a minute since I've done this research. So, not as into it now. Okay, let's do, there's something in here. Hold on, let me go to my, hello, I have a whole fucking list of things to go to. So let me go to the next thing, which is the contract, DTRA, researchgate.net. Again, I don't really even remember how I found this shit, so don't ask, but I will put this in the show notes as well. Evaluation and verification of the global rapid identification of threat system for infectious diseases and textual data sources. This is from September 2016 from Interdisciplinary Perspectives on Infectious Diseases. Has the authors here. This is what was funded by this contract. GRITS. It's literally called GRITS. Dumbest fucking shit ever, but okay. And GRITS, okay, is the Global Rapid Identification of Threat System. It's a biosurveillance application that enables infectious disease analysts to monitor non-traditional information sources, e.g. social media, online news outlets, ProMed, ProMed mail reports and blogs for infectious disease threats. GRITS analyzes these textual data sources by identifying, extracting, and succinctly 
visualizing epidemiologic information and suggests potentially associated infectious diseases. This manuscript evaluates and verifies the diagnosis that Gritz performs and discusses novel aspects of the software package. Via Gritz web interface, infectious disease analysts can examine dynamic visualizations of Gritz analyses and explore historical infectious disease emergence events. The Gritz API can be used to continually, continuously and analyze information feeds, and the API enables GRITS technology to be easily incorporated into other biosurveillance systems. GRITS is a flexible tool that can be modified to conduct sophisticated medical report tri triaging, expanded to include customized alert systems, and it's tailored to address other biosurveillance needs. Again, this is all before the pandemic that this stuff was being funded by the DTRA for EcoHealth Alliance. There's so much information. Oh my gosh. Ugh. There's too much information about DTRA. I can't even... I will try to put everything that I've got in the show notes so you can read it at your leisure because there's so much about this agency. There's also the thing where they were doing stuff in Afghanistan. They were doing stuff in Kazakhstan. Oh my gosh, just so much shit. Let me go ahead into the Afghanistan thing real quick. Because we just do not have time to go over this whole fucking thing. Oh, I found the, the contract. Let me put that in there. Oh yeah, the BSL-3 lab research lab opened in Kazakhstan not too long ago, just a few years ago. Let's see here. Is this it? Damn it. Maybe not. Maybe. DOD Threat Reduction Agency Builds Anti-Ebola Capacity. Okay, that's from 2014. So they were helping with Ebola. We already know that. Dilly dilly do. You know what? I just realized I have a whole fucking plethora of links on this specific website. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a biosensor that they worked on, too. Who got biodefense funding? This is from globalbiodefense.com from DTRA this year, 2015, December 2015. And it says here, you look down, you look down, you look down, and you find EcoHealth Alliance, Global Rapid Inter and Identification Toolset, GRITS, 4,479,678. April 2015, which is exactly what we found originally. I skipped it, but this is how I found out about Grits, and then that led me to Grits, and now we're at Grits, and then we go to the website of, let me put that in the thing. We'll go to the website of um, EcoHealth Alliance, and we found some information on Grits there. 
So let's go to that, since we can't find the Afghanistan thing. We'll get back to Afghanistan, because I know it's in here somewhere. Dooly do. So Grits, program info. They have their own website, grits.eha.io, a natural language processing, NLP, and analysis tool that automatically annotates epidemiologic information in unstructured text sources and diagnosis physis and extracts locations using an advanced machine learning algorithm. Features. Submit unstructured text into app from a variety of sources for analysis. Run GRITS continuously on social media or news feeds with the GRITS API. Rapidly extract information about disease events in text like case counts, symptoms, pathogens, transmission types, disease hosts, dates, and locations. Ranked diagnosis of potential infectious diseases associated the textual data, visualized extracted disease event locations on a map, view disease timeline of dates associated with event cases in your text, store and view your previous GRITS analyses, compare the disease events in your text over network maps to access, to assess possible disease spread. About grits, infectious diseases post a significant threat to global health and economic stability. Due to extensive globalization and urbanization, infectious diseases can spread at unprecedented rates. Early detection of emerging threats is critical to implementing effective responses and is achievable through robust global disease surveillance. Despite international awareness of the importance of disease surveillance, in mitigating infectious disease threats, there are gaps in the current global biosurveillance infrastructure. <clears throat> the GRITS application is a dynamic web app for performing deter detailed analysis of text. GRITS analyzes textual data sources like online news outlets, ProMed reports, and blogs. GRITS extracts and succinctly it's the same thing that we just read on this website here in the abstract and figures um, on researchgate.net. So it just says the same shit there. And then it says at the bottom, learn more. The GRITS app is currently in development by the EcoHealth Alliance Research Technology Team and is funded by the Defense Threat Reduction Agency. So they say it right there. So this is where that $4 million went to. This contract is about grits which just so happens to detect disease spread before a disease appears i'm just like if you explain this and people you didn't have like the information or whatever and you just said this no one would fucking believe you but i'm saying it and i know it's true and i still don't believe <laughs> the fuck I'm saying oh this is this is insane <clears throat> it's insane <clears throat> excuse me anyway anyway I'm trying to find <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> I'm turning into Alec Baldwin excuse me excuse me 
cbrnecentral.com is where I found a lot of this information. Shout out to them. Uh, that's where I found the original thing about the DTRA, which I'm not going to read because we already know what it is. Okay, so here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. I found the whole links, all the links here. They got stuff about anthrax. They got stuff about everything. Ebola, again. So much Ebola. <clears throat> Weapons of mass destruction. Problem, reaction, solution. Oh, this was interesting. There's something here from June 2014. An article. And yeah, like I said, I'm just going to leave everything for you to see. This is from global def def globalbiodefense.com, which is where I got a lot of this stuff. Um, Kim Bio Coating is more than just a fresh coat of paint. June 12, 2014. So they're looking at establishing new standards to meet both emerging and established threats, blah, blah, blah. Chemical agent resistant, resistant coatings, or CARC, for tactical vehicles have been developed and used for the past 40 years. While the standards for many of CARC's characteristics have evolved over the years, those for decontamination and resistance have remained unchanged. A similar approach was used to great success in reducing the amount of volatile organic compounds the coatings release while curing. He, uh, this dude Phillips pointed out that determining the correct tests to use is critical to getting the best results. Gathering the scientists together, as they did in the recent coatings colloquium, helped guarantee success. Incremental implementation will leverage the expertise of the coating industry by encouraging the individual coating manufacturers to use technology advances and internal research and expertise to improve the chemical agent resistance and the ability of chemical agents to be removed from military coatings. DTRACB wants to protect the warfighter and stay ahead of emerging threats that the current standard of CARC typically absorbs. They talk all about these coatings and stuff that are resistant to chemical warfare stuff, so it's a little interesting there. Uh, da, da, da. I don't know why I can't find this Af Afghanistan thing, but just stick with me for a second. I shall find it eventually. I guess if I look up DTRA Afghanistan, I'll probably find it. Then there's the micro rockets, which was interesting as well. But I'll put that in the notes, I guess. Hold on. We're going to look it up. DTRA. Like, most of this stuff, you can just look up DTRA, whatever you want to look up, and then you'll find what you want most of the time. Cause Here we go. I found it. All right. <laughs> DTRA, Technical Integrators, Return Home from Afghanistan. This is from the same website, uh, cbrnecentral.com. 
is from January 29th, 2021, before everything went to shit. After providing allied and Afghan forces with a cloak of protection from adversarial asymmetric... Why can't I say that? Uh Asymmetric weapons since... May 2017, technical integrators, TI, from the DTRA closed up shop and returned to the national capital region until their next mission. We left the Afghan National Security Forces with equipment to counter or defeat explosive and asymmetric threats, said David Gonzalez, lead technical integrator for DTRA's counter-improvised threat technologies department. They have been trained to operate and maintain the equipment they are using to secure their nation from these threats. After we depart, the counter-IED mission will be transferred to Department of the Army Headquarters. DTRA's involvement in the NATO-led Resolute Support mission began when a large vehicle-borne improvised explosive device, LVBIED, detonated in Kabul, which devastated the German embassy, severely damaged the UK embassy, and several Afghan government buildings. NATO leadership requested DTRA's support to train and advise the Afghan national defense and security forces on ways to defeat improvised threats. The Afghan national police received training in the use of the Zero Backscatter Van, a non-intrusive x-ray van, along with explosive trace detection devices. In addition, they also received training on how to operate walk-through metal detectors and baggage scanners. All of this equipment and programs of instruction were transitioned to the Ministry of Interior for incorporation into their National Police Academy training courses. Upon receipt of the first sets of equipment, DTRA TIs quickly established a trainer course that provided the opportunity for the Afghans to train themselves and send those subject matter experts to their prospective training academies for continued training. Through periodic visits, they were able to vet the training, ensuring the quality of the training was not lost. The MOI also established a national maintenance strategy to assist with the sustainability and maintenance of the equipment. The Afghan National Police are currently manning checkpoints on what is referred to as the Ring of Steel along the Kabul City perimeter. Equipped with the technology and training to identify dangerous goods, nefarious activity, and prevent and deter high payoff attacks. Blah, blah, blah. At the end, they say, Our purpose here was not to provide continuous support. We are the outsiders, explained Gonzalez. We came here to assess, equip, train, and reassess the local security forces to ensure they would be able to accomplish the mission on their own. I am proud to state that the Afghan forces are operating with higher confidence and success, providing security to the Afghan people and the international community. Well, not anymore. That didn't last long. So there's some stuff there. Oh, there's some more information on another website. Let's see here. Sylview.media. Never been there, but somebody has their own little website. Sylview. 
Let's see what they say here. That makes sense. The Pentagon Bioweapons. And it talks about DTRA, $2.1 billion military program, the Cooperative Biological Engagement Program, which we talked about before. They used Georgia as a testing ground. Oh, they have contracts. Okay, we love sources. Hell yes. The Lugar Center is the Pentagon Biolaboratory in Georgia. It is located just 17 kilometers from, that's how I say kilometers, from the U.S. Vaziani military air base in the capital, Tbilisi. Tasked with the military program are biologists from the U.S. Army Medical Research Unit, Georgia, along with private contractors. The Biosafety Level, level 3 laboratory is accessible only to U.S. citizens with security clearance. They are accorded diplomatic immunity under the 2002 U.S.-Georgia Agreement on Defense Cooperation. And here they have like um, some screenshots of contracts here. The cooperation agreement. The USA-Georgia Agreement accords diplomatic status to the U.S. military and civilian personnel working on the Pentagon program in Georgia. Information obtained from the U.S. Federal Contracts Registry clarifies some of the military activities at the Lugar Center, among them research on bioagents, anthrax and tularemia, and viral diseases, e.g. Crimean Congo hemorrhagic fever, and the collection of biological samples for future experiments. Pentagon contractors produce bioagents under diplomatic cover. So DTRA has outsourced much of the work under the military program to private companies, which are not held accountable to Congress, and which can operate more freely and move around the rule of law. U.S. civilian personnel performing work at the Lugar Center have also been given diplomatic immunity, although they are not diplomats. Hence, private companies can perform work under diplomatic cover for the U.S. government without being under the direct control of the host state, in this case, the Republic of Georgia. This practice is often used by the CIA to provide cover for its agents. Three private American companies work at the, D at the U.S. Biolaboratory in Tbilisi. TH2M Hill, Battelle, and Metobiota. Damn. In addition to the Pentagon, these private contractors perform research for the CIA and various other government agencies. Agencies. CH2M Hill has been awarded $341.5 million DTR contracts under the Pentagon's program for biolaboratories in Georgia, Uganda, Tanzania, Iraq, Afghanistan, Southeast Asia. Half of this sum, that's from GovTribe again. We loved GovTribe. Three, $352.9 million combined uh, dollars obligated. Three, $376.5 million combined current value. $378.2 million combined potential value. Okay, so I'll put that in the show notes as well. And along with this really interesting article. Love it. Uh, go back down. See, it's amazing what you can find when you're not really looking for it. 
Um, what else were we saying here? That's a plane. Anyways, half of this sum, 161.1 million, being allocated to the Lugar Center in, under the Georgian contract. According to CH2M Hill, the U.S. government the U.S. company has secured biological agents and employed former bio-warfare scientists at the Lugar Center. These are scientists who are working for another American company involved in the military program in Georgia, Battelle Memorial Institute. Oh, shit. This is going to have a lot... This show is going to have a lot of... Um, sources. Huh. Anyway, okay. Battelle as a $59 million con subcontractor at Lugar Center has extensive experience and research on bioagents as the company has already worked on the U.S. bioweapons program under 11 previous contracts with the U.S. Army. Source U.S. Army Activities in the U.S. Biological Warfare Programs, Volume 2, 1977, page 82. The private company performs work for the Pentagon's DTRA bio laboratories in Afghanistan, Armenia, Georgia, Uganda, Tanzania, Iraq, Afghanistan. Hey, they said it again. <laughs> and Vietnam. So, okay. <laughs> Not that, that good research there. Uh, Battelle conducts research development testing and evaluation using both highly toxic chemicals and highly pathogenic biological agents for a wide range of U.S. government agencies. It has been awarded some $2 billion federal contracts in total and ranks 23 on the top 100 U.S. government contractors list. Then it says, uh, Project Clear Vision, 1997-2000, a joint investigation by the CIA and the Battelle Memorial Institute under a contract awarded by the agency, reconstructed and tested a Soviet-era anthrax bomblet in order to test its dissemination characteristics. The project's stated goal was to assess bioagents' dissemination characteristics of bomblets. I've never heard of a bomblet until today. The clandestine CIA Battelle operation was omitted from the U.S. Biological Weapons Convention declaration submitted to the U.N., Top secret experiments. So Battelle has operated a top secret bio laboratory, National Biodefense Analysis and Countermeasures Center, NBACC, at Fort Detrick. And now we're at the part where I wanted to be. Thank you, Internet. I love the Internet. Maryland, under a U.S. Department of Homeland Security contract for the last decade, the company has been awarded a $344.4 million federal contract 2006 to 2016 and another $17.3 million con contract 2015 to 2026 by DHS. Amongst these secret experiments performed by Battelle at MBACC are assessment of power dissemination technology, assessment of hazard posed by aerosolized, aerosolized toxins, and assessment of virulence of B. pseudomelae miliodosis as a function of aerosol particle in non-human primates. 
Melioidosis has the potential to be developed as a bio biological weapon, hence it is classed as a Category B bioterrorism agent. B. Pseudomelae was studied by the U.S. as a potential bioweapon in the past. Besides the military experiments at the Lugar Center in Georgia, Battelle has already produced bioterrorism agents at the Biosafety Lab Level 4 MBACC Top Secret Laboratory at Fort Detrick in the U.S. A MBCA, NBC, a NBACC presentation lists 16 research priorities for the lab. Amongst them, to characterize classical, emerging, and genetically engineered pathogens for their BTA biological threat agent potential. Assess the nature of non-traditional, novel, and non-endemic induction of disease from potential BTA and to expand aerosol challenge testing capacity for non-human primates. The U.S. company Metabiota Incorporated has been awarded $18.4 million federal contracts under the P the DTRA program in Georgia and Ukraine for scientific and technical consulting services. But Metabiota services include global field-based biological threat research, pathogen discovery, outbreak, outbreak response, and clinical trials. But Metabiota Incorporated has been have been contracted by the Pentagon to perform work for DTRA before and during the Ebola crisis in West Africa and was awarded $3.1 million 200, 2012 to 2015 for work in Sierra Leone, one of the countries at the epicenter of the Ebola outbreak. A July 17, 2014 report drafted by the Viral Hemorrhagic Fever Consortium accused Metabiota in Incorporated of failing to abide by any existing agreement on how to report test results and for bypassing the Sierra Leonean scientists working there. The report also raised the possibility that Metabiota was culturing blood cells at the lab, something the report said was dangerous, as well as misdiagnosing healthy patients. All of those allegations were denied by Metabiota. And then it says, military ex experiments on biting insects. So entomological warfare is a type of biological warfare that uses insects to transmit diseases. The Pentagon has allegedly performed such entomological tests in Georgia and Russia. In 2014, the Lugar Center was equipped, equipped with an insect facility and launched a project raising awareness about barcoding of sandflies in Georgia and Caucasus. Caucasus, whatever. The project covered a larger geographic area outside of Georgia, Caucasus, why can't I say Caucasus? In 2014-2015, flebotamine sandfly species were collected under another project, surveillance work on acute febrile illness, and all female sandflies were tested to determine their infectivity rate. A third project also including sandflies collection studying the characteristics there of their salivary glands a biting fly in a bathroom in tbc tbilisi is supposed to be in the photo here flies in georgia in photo two and three as a result tbilisi has been infested with biting flies since 2015 
these biting insects live indoors in bathrooms all year long, which was not the typical behavior of these species in Georgia previously. Normally, the phlebotomine fly season in Georgia is exceptionally short from June to September. Local people complain of being bitten by these newly appeared flies while naked in their bathrooms. They also have a strong resistance to cold and can survive even in the sub-zero temperatures in the mountains. Biting flies in Dagestan, Russia. <laughs> Since the start of the Pentagon project in 2014, flies similar to those in Georgia have appeared in neighboring Dagestan, Russia. According to local people, they bite and cause rashes. Their breeding habitats are house drains. Flies in Georgia... Okay, they have the, the picture. Flies from the phlebotamine family can carry uh, dangerous parasites in their saliva, which they transmit through a bite to humans. The disease which these flies carry is of high interest to the Pentagon. In 2003, during the U.S. invasion of Iraq, American soldiers were severely bitten by sand flies and contrasted, contracted leishmaniosis. Fuck these diseases. Leishmaniasis. Yep. The disease is native to Iraq and Afghanistan, and if left untreated, the acute form of leishmaniasis can be fatal. A 1967 U.S. Army report, arthropods of medical importance in Asia and the, US and the European USSR, lists all local insects, their distribution, and the diseases that they carry. Biting flies, which live in drains, are also listed in the document. Their natural ha habitats, though, are the Philippines, not Georgia or Russia. Then there's Operation White Coat here. Dear me. Infected flies tested to bite humans. In 1970 and 1972, sand fly fever tests were performed on humans according to a declassified U.S. Army report, U.S. Army Activities in the U.S. Biological Warfare Programs, 1977, Volume 1, I mean, Volume 2, page 203. During Operation White Coat, Volunteers were exposed to bites by infected sandflies. Operation White Coat was a biodefense medical research program carried out by the U.S. Army at Fort Detrick, Maryland between 1954 and 1973. Despite the official termination of the U.S. bioweapons program in 1982, USAMRIID performed an experiment if sand flies and mosquitoes could be vectors of rift valley virus dengue chikungunya nope and eastern equine encephalitis viruses which the u.s army researched for their potential as bioweapons and then the pentagon has a long history in using insects as vectors for diseases according to a partially declassified 1981 u.s army report American biowarfare scientists carried out a number of experiments on insects. These operations were part of the U.S. entomological warfare under the program for biological weapons of the U.S. The Pentagon, how to kill 625,000 people for just 29 cents cost per death. A U.S. Army report in 1981 compared two scenarios, 16 simultaneous attacks on a city by a. Aegypti mosquitoes infected with yellow fever and tularemia aerosol attack and assesses their effectiveness in costs and casualties. Operation Big Itch. Field tests were performed to determine coverage patterns and survivability of the tropical rat flea 
Bacilla cheopis for use as a disease fat vector in biological warfare. Operation Big Buzz. I've read about that one. One million A. aegypti mosquitoes were produced. A third were placed in munitions and dropped from aircraft or dispersed on the ground. The mosquitoes survived the airdrop and actively sought out human blood. Operation Mayday. Aedes aegypti. Aegypti. I don't know. Uh, so mosquitoes were dispersed through ground-based methods in Georgia, USA, during a U.S. Army operation codenamed Mayday. Parts of the 1981 U.S. Army report, such as the mass production of Aedes aegypti, it is gypti, okay, have not been de declassified, potentially meaning that the project is still ongoing. Aedes aegypti, also known as Yellow fever mosquito have been widely used in U.S. military operations. The same species of mosquitoes are alleged to be the vectors of dengue, chikungunya, nope, and the Zika virus, which causes genetic malformations in newborns. Operation Bellwether. The U.S. Army Chemical Research and Development Command Biological Weapons Branch studied outdoor mosquito biting activity in a number of field tests at Dugway Proving Ground, Utah, in 1960. Vir virgin female Aedes aegypti mosquitoes, which had been starved, were tested upon troops out in the open air. And then there's more about the insects. More, more, more. Can't read all of this. I'm literally losing my voice. <clears throat> Anthrax. They talk about anthrax. Yep, yep, yep. Yep, yep, yep. This is a very thorough article. Damn. Then Ebola, of course. So just more information just showing that this has been doing... They've been doing this for a long, 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 long time. So it's not out of the realm of possibility for there to be a bioweapon released on the public. Because it's happened many, many, many times throughout history. There's so much information in this article, it's insane. So yeah, we probably read more than we needed to from this, but hopefully you got something out of that. And then Ukraine and Russia was hit by a new highly virulent cholera infection in 2011 here that they talk about. Oh, wow. This is so much information. And then they talk about the lobbying. Very interesting. Botulism. So much information. All very good sources, pretty much, here. Same shit I'm doing, basically. Anyway, it goes on and on and on. This thing never ends. Wow. <laughs> So that's a plethora of information you can gather from that website. Going back to what we were talking about before, grits and the contract and everything. Oh, I found the contract for the funding of the grits. Um, so I'll put that in there as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. Independentsciencenews.org has the information of what they funded and everything. DTRA, back to DTRA. Uh, so DTRA's contracts here for reducing the threat of Rift Valley fever through ecology, epidemiology, epidemiology and socioeconomics. 
serological biosurveillance for spillover of henipiraviruses and filoviruses at agricultural and hunting human-animal interfaces in peninsular Malaysia. Understanding Rift Valley Fever. Yeah. They have the stuff about the Crimean Congo hemorrhagic fever in here, so you can get that information. And then it has EcoHealth Alliance right here. So strategic coordination to strengthen AFRICOM. Oh, no, that's, is that the right one? Yeah, that's it. Uh, and One Health and veterinary programs for global health engagement, strengthening multi-sector sectoral approaches to biodefense and biosurveillance in the Caucasus, Caucasus. And that was from, actually from Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences from DOD to EcoHealth Alliance. And the first one that I was talking about, the, cryo, the Crimean Congo hemorrhagic fever was for EcoHealth Alliance from DTRA. But this contract underneath that, which is for, for 4,995,106 for the Crimean Congo hemorrhagic fever one. Uh, the one after that from Uniform Sciences University of the Health Sciences. I mean, universe, Uniform Services University of the Health Sciences from 2020. This is all from 2020. It's just coincidental. Um, EcoHealth Alliance, one, wow, one isn't that correct? Or am I? Okay. 1,360,002 for that. <coughs> DOD, DTRA contract, 2020, $2,956,309 to EcoHealth Alliance, reducing the threat of Middle East Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus and Avian Influenza in Jordan and strengthening regional disease surveillance capacity. And then we got NIH as well to EcoHealth Alliance. This is all EcoHealth Alliance funding as of January 10th, 2020. So this is important to, to get a, a read on what was being funded at that time. So if you want to know every single agency that was funding this organization, Hey, fun fact about EcoHealth Alliance. I might have told you this before, but they actually partnered with the mattress company that made my mattress. And I didn't find out until after I had bought the mattress that they had a deal with them in 2020. And then they were like, oh, we didn't know, blah, blah, blah. And we've severed our relationship. And I was like, good, because <laughs> what the fuck? But the fact that they like worked with the mattress company that made my mattress is hilarious. Like I can't get away from them, you know? Um... So yeah, the NIH one was for $3,725,160 total, and that was from 2008 to 2012, and that was for the ecology, emergence, and pandemic potential of Nipah virus in Bangladesh. And then there was another contract, a couple of contracts here from NIH, uh, which was in the uh, realm of 442 million... Sorry, 442,844, some little contracts from 2007 to 2010 to EcoHealth Alliance, which was for the risk for future outbreaks of henipiraviruses in South Asia. 
And then before that, um, well, it wouldn't be before, but there's another one here for 300,000 to EcoHealth Alliance from 2012, comparative spillover dynamics of avian influenza in endemic countries. And then you have NIAID, which is what Fauci's in, the, in charge of, and that's from 2014 to 2019 in the um, 3748715 total dollars to EcoHealth Alliance for understanding the risk of bat coronavirus emergence. I think we understand it now. I think we do. Um, and again, we go back to NIH here, HHS, NIH, uh, 2008 to 2012, before all this, $2,579,553 to EcoHealth Eco Alliance for risk of viral emergence from bats. And then NIAID 2020, $1,546,744 to EcoHealth Alliance for understanding risk of zoonotic virus emergence in EID's hotspots of Southeast Asia. And then DHS. DHS gave EcoHealth Alliance $580,858 in 2020 for the study of Nipah virus dynamics and genetics in its bat reservoir and of human exposure to NIV across Bangladesh to understand patterns of human outbreaks. So those are the notables. USAID also gave them money. You hear about them sometimes. They're always helping other countries. They gave in 2013 and 2016 a respective $1.5 one million nine hundred ninety nine thousand two hundred three dollars in 2013 and four hundred ninety nine thousand eight hundred forty four dollars in 2016 for land use change and disease emergence whatever the hell that means the department of agriculture this has everything i'm telling you um usda gave in 2008 and 2009 eco health alliance one hundred forty three thousand dollars and a hundred thousand one dollars for conducting an avian influenza surveillance program to detect the occurrence of highly pathogenic H5N1 avian influenza in Mexico. So Department of Interior, DOI, also gave in 2012 $154,087 to EcoHealth Alliance for geomysis Destructins, I have no idea what that means, but okay. Destructins, implications for the migration of white nose syndrome bat. More bat stuff. Um, what else is here? There's more from Department of Interior. They gave $22,512 in 2011 for Seabird Ecological Assessment Network, CNET. Um, I think that's about... Well, DOD, we'll go back to DOD, because DOD themselves gave 2014, 2015, and 2016 to EcoHealth Alliance uh, a, uh, a total amount of $2,942,019 for understanding the Rift Valley fever in the Republic of South Africa. So that's something very important that they needed to put money into. But yeah, you can see all of this information. I will put it in the links below. 
Thank you so much for listening to all of this. I know it was a lot. And we finally reached two, two, two hours. I think we're about done. There might be one more thing I'll mention real quick. Well, the micro rockets. I didn't really talk about that. But the micro rockets, just so you can go to sleep soundly tonight. Uh, global defense, globalbiodefense.com, excuse me. And DTR scientists, DTRA scientists develop cloud-based biosurveillance ecosystem. This is from February 29, 2016. So the gist is, it's a virtual, customizable, collaborative system that uses commercial and government technologies to aggregate and analyze data streams, according to um, someone from the program, the DTRA scientists. The BSVE ingests a wide variety of data sources, open source data, social media, and diagnostic data, and DOD, interagency, national and international surveillance system data, he added. Analytic applications and user-designed apps in the BSVE, which stands for uh, Biosurveillance Ecosystem. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um use the aggregated data streams to provide near real-time modeling analyses and visualized results and they provide automated intellect intelligently suggested data tools and analyses and a user-friendly interface with modern collaboration and reporting features uh, so they have open source uh, this program and it's in the cloud, so nothing bad can happen. <laughs> it works as a dashboard-like service from the cloud as, as access through an internet browser. The BSVE pulls in data sources and articles and then in real time using nat natural language processing, highlights keywords of interest to analysts. Rather than reading through entire articles, analysts can look for highlighted text and summarize results in a tabular or geospatial format. It's easily adaptable, one of the scientists said, and other folks can generate their own applications that can easily be plugged in. That's all been specified very well through a software developer's kit. So part of the idea with the VSVE from the get-go is that it could be user-driven and sustained. So yeah, that's the data system that they have created. So yeah, so basically that's where I wanted to end everything. There was the, the laboratory that they opened in Kazakhstan. That was in um, the DTRA again. This was in 2014. So that opened in 2014. And that one was interesting. It says, this is a state-of-the-art laboratory staffed by public health professionals, scientists, researchers, and laboratory technicians from Kazakhstan. These Kazakhstan professionals will use this laboratory to conduct clinical and diagnostic research of infectious diseases that may affect both humans and animals. Working in coordination with other public health related agencies, this facility will enable Kazakhstan and the surrounding region to per better anticipate and respond to human and animal diseases, which have potentially significant consequences for human and animal health. It's a result of an ongoing partnership between the Kazakhstan and the U.S to improve public health safety in Kazakhstan and is the first 
research facility of its kind in Kazakhstan and Central Asia. The biocontainment facility will be administered by the Republic of Kazakhstan Ministry of Education and Science and will support clinical clinical and diagnostic research of infectious diseases that may affect both humans and animals. It's not like we'll ever have to worry about that in the future. So anyway, yeah, leaving on that, I think I got to pretty much everything I really wanted to get into about the DTRA. Again, everything will be sourced as usual, and you can find it in the show notes and, you know, all the other stuff that we didn't really go over, I'll put there as well. Uh, Thank you again for listening. I know there's a long one. Hopefully it wasn't too annoying for you. And please continue to watch The Political Matrix and stay tuned for the next episode. Maybe I'll have a person on it. We'll see a guest. Um, But thanks again for listening and fuck Joe Biden and fuck the vaccine mandates. And thank you so much and have a great weekend. And there's not much left of it, but have a great rest of the day and a great rest of the week when it gets to that point. Bye-bye now.